Hey folks, this is Wes Colton with the Introvert Unbound podcast. For this episode, we have live in the studio, Vic Sanchez. He is an ambivert, and as a professional, he likes data and R&D. We're going to talk about how that ties into dating. So welcome, Vic. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, Wes. Yeah, so I met Vic at this discussion group where we talk about aspects tying into introversion and Vic has lots of knowledge about lots of things and I thought it'd be great to have him on the podcast. Uh, specifically, we talk about some aspects around online dating, but we're going to talk about everything that we want to and hopefully the audience will be interested in what we have to say. Great. That's what the podcast is all about. So let's talk a little bit about what your thoughts are on online dating for starting. Because I recently wrote an article about online dating and I actually critique elements of it. I'm not actually a huge fan of it. I understand it's a useful tool. But let's just get a, some of your thoughts on the whole online dating. Sure. Um, I think online dating is, is uh, you know, one channel of, of communication and dating. Yeah. I think on the whole, you know, my, first, my personal pr- first preference is, is still face-to-face because you get a lot more information and feedback rapidly. Mm. But on the whole, I think um, both of them are valid and they have strengths and weaknesses. I think uh, my strongest view on this is, is mostly that um, when it comes to mobile dating and the intersection of mobile dating and online dating, that's where I start to see it as utility negative and perhaps unhealthy. So by mobile dating, you mean using apps on your phone specifically? Yes. yes. Okay. And how... So how in your mind does that differ than just traditional traditional online dating? We're getting to the point where there's almost a traditional version of it versus the mobile version. So explain a little more about that. I do think there's a difference. Um, mobile apps in general are designed to engage you. Whereas you know online dating, they're built more on e-commerce models. They're built so that you see them through a screen and you can think of them more deliberately rather than being intellectually affected in the same way. So if you're using something like Tinder, for example, that app is designed so that you swipe, you swipe through 100 faces and there's a match rate. Um, and underneath the match rate, there's this, you know, there's this algorithm that uh, the app actually runs on its own. So it's sort of like um, a stock market to an extent, right? There's, there's a, a trade price and the app developers themselves or the app platform decides what that is. Okay. So that can skew your mind in a lot of ways. It can make you desensitized to women. It can also make you, um, your, your match rate could be totally uncorrelated to what would happen in reality, oh, yeah. right? And that's where I'd see like the value add from, from mobile being a little bit more of a, a dangerous thing compared to, to online. So you're talking about a little bit about the algorithm of say a Tinder as in it shows certain people and not others for various reasons and whatnot. Uh, not, not the general algorithm. Yes, okay. that, that is an interesting thing to think about. Okay. I think it's more that you know Tinder has an artificial matching algorithm in the back mm. and it, it's kind of like Google to an extent. It's, it's gained by whether you are you know, signed up for the paid version or not. Uh-huh. And then on top of that, um, the app itself is very visual. Right, it, it biases towards visual cues um, rather than text or any of the other form factors or the sensory things you get from real life. Right, right. So there are some apps that do stuff around where where you get like face to face video interactions and stuff like that. Yeah. that's a very different experience than something like Tinder where you're swiping through a hundred faces. Right. right. Yeah. In my article, I talked a little bit about the difference between a swipe app and say 
maybe an okay cupid definitely not trying to advertise for any particular website but that's one i've used in the past yeah where it does have a lots of information about you so yeah. it seems like a lot of people obviously they're still going to be looking at your picture but they have other parameters whereas yeah. with tinder it's literally tinder bumble all those ones it's literally just your headshot that's pretty much it and your age maybe that's about it right right and the thing is one of the problems is that with tinder tinder is in between you and your matches right so mm -hmm. you don't know how much that matchmaking aspect really really skews your match rate um and i think i think okcupid is a good contrast to that because mm -hmm. okcupid is really different from from face-to-face, -face, right? There's a level of, of custom searching you can do on there. Um, there's, actually a, there's actually a book called Dataclism uh, by a data scientist from, from uh, OkCupid okay, who sort of shares a lot of their, their, their discoveries around dating and the ecology of dating, right. which are pretty interesting as an aside. Yeah, no, that's really, that's really relevant, I would say. Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, uh, I guess one more point on the, on the mobile side is that your your mind is kind of affected by your experience of using any of these platforms, right? And with something like Tinder, there's that desensitization effect, right? In real life, in order to, to meet 100 women, you need to make a lot of time sacrifice, yeah. but you'll get a lot more information quickly, right? So whether you succeed or fail, you'll get more information to help you contextualize whatever is happening, Yes. right? And uh, with the way that app is designed, you really don't get that much feedback. No, hardly at all, right? They, six, yeah, they, yeah. they either swipe for you or not, and yeah. then they'll either text you or not, and then half the times they'll flake. Yeah. <laughs> or am I just talking about my experience? I'm personalizing this a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing, right? Everyone can have very different experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, no, I also like what you said about in terms of the feedback. So one of the points I've made in the past is, let's say you go out and you talk to a few women. Yeah. Get shot down by all of them. You still, at the end of that night, you're going to feel pretty good. Yes. You took action. You went out talking to people. You got out of your house. You did all these things. Yeah. If you fail on online dating, you kind of just feel crappier because there's almost no positive. Exactly. Exactly. And part of this is about the nature of mobile altogether, hmm. right? Um, you know, jumping off a little bit, you know, the mobile Facebook app, a lot of it, there's a huge controversy right now because... A lot of that app is designed around engaging you or addicting you to stay on the platform. Yes. And that sort of incentive is there with all mobile um, applications. So their mm. goals, they're not really rewarded as much from you succeeding on that platform. That is a brilliant point that I never thought of. So I am aware of on Facebook, for instance, if you post links, they don't like links because that takes you off the site. Photos or just little chats or whatever they want that keeps you on so they like that they'll bump that up in the algorithm so if you're on a dating site the last thing they want you to do is actually find your match and not be on the dating site anymore in a sense I mean they obviously want the reviews of oh I met my wife on this or whatever but yeah but the funny thing is if they get enough scale on it right you're always gonna get those those fantastic reviews it could be one in a sure. million but as long as you get a few of them, it'll, you'll have enough uh, right. marketing around it. But do you think, I mean, I'm ascribing sinister motives. Yeah. That would be, that'd be funny, though. It's like Tinder does not want you to get married. Tinder wants you to go on dates forever so you keep going on their app. Even less sense. than that, they want you to be on the app forever. Yeah. Not even going on dates. <laughs> right. right? That, that's true, because the dates would actually, that's time away from Yeah, the app. yeah, yeah. That, that, that's partially <laughs> how their offering works, right? They have... They, they created a bunch of different variations on how you can interact on Tinder, right? Yeah. So you could have these group swiping things, you could have individual swiping things, um, but they're not necessarily about you actually meeting someone in real life. <laughs> well, and that tends to translate into some people's actually 
experience an activity. They kind of play it as a game. Yeah. And I've talked to many women who are be I think we're being pretty upfront and honest. Like, I just wanted to see who would match with me. There's right. women who are actually in relationships who are on it. It doesn't even necessarily mean they're trying to cheat. They're well, just kind of exactly, exactly, and that's what mobile is about. There's this level of dopamine release around it, which can mm. skew your view around. Okay, your actual sexual market value or whatever term you yeah. use, right? And it's interesting, right? <laughs> it's, it's it changes regionally, and then on top of that, there's Tinder's own strategy about what would serve them in terms of match rates and all that stuff. Yeah, no, that's that's a brilliant point. And yeah, in terms of the quote sexual market value, so the idea of how you're perceived by the opposite sex. Yeah, I personally don't do as well online as I do in person. Well, mm -hmm. let's put it that I don't do as well with the swipe apps, and I do better with the written apps because you know I'm pretty good with words and stuff like that. And I do best meeting in person. So yes. in person, you know, I, I meet a fair amount of pretty attractive women who are suitable for me, and then through these other apps, not as much. So if I were only a person who did the swipe apps, I would think that I'm not very particularly attractive to women. Mm -hmm. And that could really affect my self-confidence and my whole view of myself. I know it's not true based on, you know, thousands of real life experiences, yeah. but it's just really interesting how it works out that way. Well, yeah, playing devil's advocate a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, there is, there is a form of communication that works there. There, mm -hmm. it's like very concise, sorry, concise, uh, uh, texting and emojis, right? Sure. Um, and I would say that is actually relevant to our day and age. But it's not the only way to express yourself, right? Let's talk a little bit more about that. Obviously, yeah. of course, you have to get the swipes first. And, you know, you're not going to be able to text somebody until you're swiped. So, obviously, the headshot's going to yeah. play into it uh, yeah. tremendously. But let's talk a little bit about what you're saying in terms of the language that should be utilized in some of these apps. Oh, I can't speak as an expert either. I'm not great at the swipe well, No, but you were, you were saying around the emojis yeah. and whatnot, you know, sort of using the lingo of the day, the exactly. quick fire, rapid fire communication, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the, the yeah, I guess the, the value add I see is that, um, that uh, different kinds of communication are prized in different platforms, right? So face to face, your ability to emote physically and uh, and convey intimacy and trust really matter. Yeah. Then you go on to something like, okay, Cupid, where it's more text-based, and you can write long paragraphs. And being able to express complex ideas is really valued, right? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, rapid texting and and expressing emotions through emojis and gifs yeah. and all that—that's also a skill, actually. I'm I'm starting to appreciate, especially yeah. with when I'm you know trying to communicate with the younger people. Right. Um, not necessarily just in dating. It, it it's a concise form of communication, actually. Right. Yeah. So myself as a 40 year old, I can play in that arena, but it's not really my comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I try to express myself in the way that feels natural to me, while at the same time being somewhat adaptive and flexible. But yeah, I could see that would be part of why I do not enjoy texting for yeah. the most part. And I'm a writer, so it's like I either want to talk to a person, write something out, and the texting for me is just, when are we meeting? <laughs> like that kind right, of thing, right, right. which is not how it's used for the most part these days. Yeah, seems. yeah, but I think one of the advantages of that we have is that we're self-aware of the forms of communication we're strong at, dislike, that we're weak at too, Yes. right? And right. one of the things you have to think as a person in the dating world is how do you uh, tune it so that you can actually put your best foot forward and that should sort of shape which direction you go a little bit. 
Very true. No, exactly. Yeah, at Introvert Unbound, we talk all the time about pushing your comfort zone, you know, finding your weaknesses, bolstering them. So, yeah, as somebody who wants to be able to communicate with people across the wide range, you know, working on those skills is good. And then also maintaining what is authentic for you. So, for me to overuse emojis would just feel ridiculous. For me, it would just feel weird. So I'm, I, I use them sometimes, especially because I have to. I have a dry sense of humor, so I have to put that winky face yeah. in there so people know I'm not being a dick. Yeah. But yeah, working on those skills, I do think, is important for mm-hmm. sure. So let's talk about yeah. Let's talk a little more about just some of the some of the data behind like online dating. Any anything in that realm that comes to mind to you that that has uh, surprised you or that you find interesting? Yeah, I guess citing back to that book I mentioned, Dataclism, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I studied uh, biology when I was a student, a high school student. It was interesting that, um, you know, Dataclism sort of gave you, it, it, it lined up against a lot of the biology research that I learned. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was sort of like a ecology level view of how dating populations interacted. But some, there were some interesting discoveries in there. One was that, um, you know, the, when, when people talk to each other, they talk about like universal principles of attraction and they kind of apply, uh-huh. but there's a huge, the, the population is so large, there's a lot of variation. Right. So there could be a person who's, who's considered ugly in the larger dating pool, but right. is really high, highly in demand within these smaller networks. Oh, sure. Right. Um, definitely yeah, so d- different different hierarchies basically you know? yeah yeah like a the top of the level of snowboarders might be really attracted to the snow, snowboard chicks but some high society woman could be like I don't want to date the top snowboarder that guy's not anything to me yeah like I remember a vague example of like of like a fat goth chick right mm-hmm. in the universal sense she's she's not going to be considered attractive by the volume mm-hmm. but if you look at her actual interactions he has a lot of demand from from different kinds, uh, different subgroups. Sure. So that was that was fairly interesting. It means that um, you know universal ideas of what attract what's actually attractive don't really apply to you, right? Necessarily. Yeah, it's not a hundred percent across the board. No, not. Yeah. Right. There's obviously certain, like you say, universals, but it, it's not as simple as that. Yeah, but but there are some universals that are useful to be mind of, which are mm-hmm. uh, mindful of. One of the points they mentioned is that you know. Different demographics have are, are biased towards and biased against pretty badly. So in that book, they mentioned that uh, you know black women actually have the, the hardest bias against them. Huh. They even did this uh, this sort of uh, on on one Valentine's Day they did this like blind matching, and they just had people chat without having their profiles and their names sort of exposed. Yeah. And they saw that there was a lot more racial matching from from that one day compared to the general app usage. Interesting. So that's that's another reason why you know I personally sort of try to avoid online a little bit. Yeah. Um, when, when, you're foc- when you're coming from a more visual perspective, it's easier to just passively discriminate. Right, oh, for um, sure. Yeah. yeah. I think that applies. I'm sure there's plenty of racial discrimination yeah. that goes on that you know might not go on in, in real life, per se. It might just, happen in a different way. I don't know. That's one of the reasons I like cold approach or yeah. you know, just meeting people serendipitously. Right, um, right, because people might have their prejudices against you at first. So, for instance, me, like I'm a dude who shaves his head, right? Yeah. And so I'm sure there's plenty of women who are just like, well, it's easy for me just to get rid of the bald dude. Right? Yeah, they do yeah. that. And maybe I might walk up to a girl and she might be like, oh, bald dude's not my favorite kind of dude. But then I talk to her, I'm making her laugh, all that's overlooked. Yeah, I'm in. Exactly. So, same thing can apply to everything across the board, like age. I find the age is, is a huge, obviously, discriminator. Um, I, I have the matches that I get as a 40 year old guy 
online are particularly mostly women in their 30s, sometimes, you know, late 20s. In real life, I tend to be dating women in their mid-20s, mostly because of my own emotional immaturity and, and unwillingness to move too forward in terms of a long-term relationship in marriage and kids. But that's a whole other podcast. But yeah, I find it really interesting. Online, I'm like, oh, I guess, I guess none of these women would, would date me. In mm-hmm. real life, they definitely do. But again, you have all you have are a few elements to decide upon when you're playing this game and it is uh, this yeah. game of like what number works for me what headshot do i rate well yeah 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 but um so some of the other elements are around that book that you're talking about anything else that you wanted to elaborate on i mean i think that was the main one yeah um and and i think uh you know avoiding the app helps a l- those apps helps a little bit with that but to an extent like racism and all that yeah exists in every medium and I think that's one of those insights from that that's most easily distilled from that research that should just make you think a little bit um, yeah. you know for 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 introverts a lot of us don't like to naturally extend ourselves mm-hmm. right and that's that's one of the reasons I liked cold approach a lot one of the initial principles before you, know, you exercise your own self-will yeah. is that you approach everyone Right, right, right. You don't go in with it with as many assumptions, mm-hmm. and that's a very powerful thing because uh, just being open to people, it, at the very least, it opens you into uh, new opportunities to learn and and socialize, right? And uh, I think I, I think you know realizations like that discrimination just being there is one way to educate yourself around your own discrimination because everyone has it. <laughs> well, I mean, I've always said that. The foundation of discrimination is sexual preference, right? I mean, that's basically what discrimination has come from. Do I want to propagate these genetics or not? And so, yeah, I've, I've found that there is an unfortunate amount of all sorts of discrimination, be it racial, age-based, obviously looks-based. Um, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. And I think a lot of people who might consider themselves or like to think of themselves as very accepting and open and pro-diversity, when you actually get into their dating, you find out that they're not at all. Yeah, but I mean, coming from a more selfish perspective, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's I see it as nature plus nurture. Mm-hmm. And if it's pure, if there's a huge nature component to it, you really either can't change it or it's really, really hard to change it. Mm. Um, so I'm thinking of it more in terms of, you know, changing your dating pool so that um, better options come up, right? Sure. So everyone has this superficial sort of, screeners that are just working yeah. in the background, yeah, yeah. right? Um, and just changing the way you communicate and trying out different things allows you to bypass those a little bit and see better options. I like that a lot, and I think that's totally true. And so, obviously, here we're not trying to say, okay, yeah, don't, don't do online dating, but, and then nothing, stay home and be lonely. I mean, hey, if, if you're making the decision that you don't want to date anymore and you're done, if you put all the effort you can into it, and if you've gotten dating coaches, and it's just still not working for you, make a decision never to date again. But if you still want to date, and that's most people, you know, get a dating coach, all that, try online dating, and if that's not working for you, definitely be going out there and meeting people in real life. And that's what we're advocating. So it's not just about shitting on, you know, dating or anything like that. It's going out there and talking to people. That has personally for me been, I mean, that was what unlocked a lot of my social development and emotional development and psychological development, just being more willing to go out there and talk to folks. I had lots of preconceptions about how people are and how people were. And yet, years later, some of them ended up being correct, 
but I needed to prove that in real life instead of just saying like, oh, all the people that are downtown at the bar and Lodo and Denver are all like this. You know, maybe <laughs> a lot of the people are like that, but not all of them are. Right. And I learned the ability to talk to people who are so different than me, yeah. and people who I judged and probably disliked, and maybe now I understand, okay, yeah, they're, they're probably not the, the best match for me in terms of friend or dating or anything yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. but I can still find common ground, and I did date women like that, I made friends. So I know you've done a fair amount, of, you know, what people would call cold approach, some people call it a pickup, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The idea of just going out there and talking to people, talking to women, I think there's a bad rap, and I just want to put a little preamble to this, is the bad rap of some of the pickup artists out there, the idea of like, go out there, manipulate some drunk woman and have sex with her immediately. That That is not what we're advocating for. We're, we're certainly advocating for people going out there talking to people. If people want to have sex whenever they want to, great, go for it. But you know, my version of it and what we're kind of teaching at Introvert Unbound is people go out there talking to women, you know, get their phone number, get a date with them. That's beautiful. But let's talk a little bit about your experience and how that's helped you in dating, but also even helped you on uh, just a personal development level. Sure. Um, so I mentioned pickup. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess uh, I guess the good starting point is that, you know, I, I grew up uh, as part of a an immigrant, an immigrant family. Uh, my my family is of of Indian descent, mm -hmm. and uh, they don't really have a dating culture there. Uh, so a lot of it was was learned on the fly, and it had to be by experience, right? So the research sort of helped me avoid some some harsh lessons at the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, right? But uh, but I I think I always liked the idea of cold approach uh, because I grew up in this culture where. Um, you should really just try to make friends with everyone, right? I mean, every uh, the way I see it is that you know the best connections you make in life are just the the, the talent is just everywhere randomly, right? And and this is this is where that you're talking about. Yeah, I'm not just talking about pickup. I'm just saying in life, right? Okay, yeah, the, yeah. the best connections you can make are just you don't know where they are. For sure. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, and being able to socialize with people and sort of open your doors and then sort of hone in on. On these these opportunities that you've made available to yourself right. is really important, and I think that that's sort of why cold approach really appealed to me because mm. you're kind of going into it with an open mind and desensitizing yourself to your own instincts and and sort of forcing yourself to, um, you know, enjoy socializing with random people. Right. And then as you get into that, you can sort of start thinking about it a little bit more about, hey, how did I connect with this person, mm -hmm. and did I like that direction, yeah. and sort of develop that further. Yeah. What's interesting is even. I mean, folks who might consider themselves having a preference for extroversion, maybe they are going out and talking to random people. But what's interesting is when you actually start doing cold approach, even if you consider yourself, you know, having that preference for introversion, you're still probably talking to more people than most people actually are. So it's, it's kind of an amazing experience where there might be chatty people who are going out to a bar how many people are actually talking to? But if you're actually going out there and you're saying, you know, I'm going to talk to 10 people tonight, that's that's a phenomenal thing that most people don't do. So you're, in a sense, it's like you're cramming in all of this social knowledge really quickly. Yes. And for me, it was important because I tended to avoid doing that for years for most of my life. Yeah. And then I started doing it. And over the the you know, part of a decade that I've actually been going out there just randomly talking to people, you know, primarily for dating, but also for other purposes and it's tied into other things that I've, I've gotten basically 
you know, a lifetime's worth of social experience in that less than a decade. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's go on with a little bit about your, your uh, experiences then. Okay. Um, so I, I did a lot of interracial dating. Uh, and I think that just suited me a lot because I grew up in three different cultures. Yeah. Um, so that's been fairly interesting because I think in the end, you know, all your dating experiences have to be fairly personal. Hmm. Um, and, you know, initially you're just dating individual people, but sometimes you'll notice trends around culture, which sort of you're attracted to or you're either trigger you, right? Hmm. And that's something to be wary of too. It, it's helpful to help you understand what sort of cultures you enjoy uh, being more of a part of. Sometimes it's not your own sort of culture, right? So mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So when you first started putting yourself out there, was it scary for you? I mean, is it still scary for you? Because I know for me, it still goes counter to my nature. Yes. It is still scary for me. Yeah. Um, the main reason is not really because of the other people. Right. It's more that, you know, I think you're always changing, mm -hmm. right? And I describe myself as an ambivert, but... Personally, like I've gone through phases where I was, I really needed to be shut off and skeptical and really narrow down my social network. Hmm. Um, and there's been phases where I needed to open up my life. And, yeah. and uh, I think, you know, dealing with my own changes and realizing why they're happening and what kind of people I need in my life at different stages has been tricky, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, you have this idea that over time by socializing, you'll always grow from it because you, you've developed more skills. But what you are and what you need change over time as well. That's a really good point. So you're saying sometimes is it that time to expand yourself out to the world and sometimes is that time to contract back yeah. into yourself. Yeah. Now I've found that too. And there is that fine line between forcing something and being a phony at the wrong time versus pushing your comfort zone. So how do you personally know when that's the situation? Like say, you know, maybe you were thinking about it, you would go out over the weekend, you decide not to go out the weekend. Yeah. Is that a kind of thing? Oh, well, because I know this is best for me. Or do you tell yourself, oh, I'm just being a wimp? You know, how do you, how, what's your process for that? Um, I think I, I sort of go into, um, I focus on why I do it hmm. uh, a lot, right? Um, in terms of trade-offs, right? So, there's, so there was a phase uh, where, you know, I just really needed to, to learn those, those uh, approach skills or... See new dating situations because you know I didn't I wasn't happy in in this, the results I was getting. Right. Um, you know there was there was a lot of dating where I just had to learn by fire. Yeah. And the reason you go through that is because you need to see a different uh, different opportunity, right? So you know I'm I, I had a lot of insecurity around sex. I had a lot of insecurity about around relationships. Mm. Mostly the second ones are gone. I'm pretty insecure. I'm pretty secure from a social perspective. Nice. But, you know, being aware of what motivates you helps you make those decisions, right? Yep. Whether, if you really need to address an uncertainty for your life, for your long-term future, mm -hmm. it's worth, like, burning out your health for a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's obvious, obviously, don't do, go that direction yeah. too hard. Yeah. That wouldn't be sustainable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I did find that. So, a lot of the folks who do cold approach, and I learned from a lot of, quote, the pickup folks... And I did learn a good foundation from that, but I quickly discarded a lot of it. And also there was a lot that didn't resonate with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So can you speak to any of that? Yeah, actually, I will say the social side of pickup really pissed me off a lot. Um, so as, in, as in, you know, I was, I was in Boston when I was sort of uh, encountering the pickup 
community. Yes. And I've met a few people who came to it for the right reasons, and a lot of people, actually a lot of people came to it for the right reasons, but, you know, I saw huge variations in the result. Most people were sort of end up getting stuck into drinking or drugs or right. stupid stuff like that. Yep. But I will say, on the other hand, it was like two or three of these people sort of balanced everything and... and and uh, kept that sort of personal development motive and went deep into it and succeeded. And seeing that success from the side really helped me understand the value of this because it can, it can help your life. It can help uh, uh, assuage some of the social frustration you have and yes. externalize it. It's just a tactical problem that doesn't need to be uh, uh, part of your identity. For right? sure. So once, once uh, I saw Pickup's ability to do that for you, I was just much more relaxed in life, in all my social interactions. Right. And I think, at least for myself, a lot of the experiences where you almost crash and burn, you just get those out of your system and then you realize none of it's that big of a deal. So you go up and say something that was sort of dumb yeah. or somebody reacts negatively, like, huh, nothing happened. You know, in years of me going out, I got punched once in the stomach by a girl, but it was totally unjustified and it was early on. It was because she was into... You know that boy band Hanson, okay. which was having a reunion tour or some, and I was like, "Oh, they suck!" And she punched me in the stomach. Oh yeah, I stand by my <laughs> yeah. comment. That was totally, totally justified for me to for me to make that comment. Yeah, but bad yeah, taste. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she just simply has bad taste, and I communicated that, and I, I stand behind that. But um, yeah, in terms of the bar scene, though, to me that was an element that is intertwined. Yes. With cold approach at the same time so that this is my take on it that i'd be curious to hear yours. yes so i still go to bars i'm not a big drinker i do enjoy alcohol yeah strangely when i go to the bars for the most part at least for years this is the way i've done i would almost never drink yes just because i didn't want to feel the need to have the alcohol to talk to people yeah but after a while i have to say it did wear on me like being around all these wasted people at 1am stone cold sober i mean i'm in this energized mode and i'm like the only one who's being coherent yeah. but at the same time it, it wears on me but bars are great because there's so many people there and you can get so much practice in so the way i look at it is bars are definitely an awesome option certainly if you're learning this yeah. it's probably the best things you can do because it's like a hardcore situation and you just do it personally i am not going out to bars at till 2 a.m very frequently anymore maybe do the fact that i'm 40 mm -hmm. but and i'm finding better places but couldn't have done without the bars and i still enjoy them so what's your take on bars and all that on the bars yeah uh, just how that all ties in whatever you want to say about it right uh you know, going back to before you actually understand yourself and where you succeed as a communicator and where you enjoy um, interacting socially, yeah. you got to just try everything, right? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say you need to specialize in bars. And actually, for before I even started Pickup, I had a really negative opinion of bars. Mm -hmm. Actually, most Asians really have a pretty terrible opinion of bars. Mm. The, apparently, in, in uh, places like Japan, they have this opinion that a lot of people die in bars. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. There's there's apparently like a huge tie-up between like uh, the criminal scene or, and, oh. and, and uh, bars and clubs. Interesting. Um, but, but it, uh, you know, for me, like I, the experience was, was important. And I don't really have a strong stance like that as in I hate mm. bars or anything. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a lot of the best cultural experiences I've had are in bars, yeah. you know, Boston with uh, St. Patty's Day. Yeah. Um, you, you can have fun in a bar without drinking, yeah. and that's mostly what I did. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and also, bars helped me realize that I, I like to express myself more through like physical stuff. So I like dancing mm. more, than, more than 
sitting at the bar all the time. But I like I, I, I look at the logistics of venues a lot more so that you know, they're expensive enough that you can go dance and come back and hang out with your friends or find new people to, to talk to. Let's talk a little more about dancing because dancing is my weak point. That yeah. is the thing that makes me most uncomfortable. I can probably go up to and talk to any person in the world and not really feel intimidated to do yeah, something. Yeah, but yeah. if I need to go in and dance, I've been getting better. I've taken some classes and actually I learned this trick from a woman I was in terms of like she was doing this silly thing with her hand. Yeah. And I was like, that's kind of stupid. But I went to a club last week and at somebody's birthday and I was just, I never know what to do with my hands. I feel awkward. And I just held my drink and I was kind of doing that. I didn't care if I looked stupid. Yes. I danced for longer than I had, and I had the best time and, I ever had at the club. And that's part of it, right? <laughs> so sometimes those, those uh, just being silly physically helps yeah. you get into flow. It did. Right? I'm like, I don't care. And it was at this gay bar. Yeah. So like everything was just ridiculous. Yeah. I didn't feel, I didn't feel um, like I was trying to impress anyone, right, obviously. Right. And so I just had a good time. But yeah, dancing is one of the best ways to. I would say even communicate with women, but it is a kind of communication. So what's been your experience with all that? And what would be your advice also okay. to, tag on to okay. guys who are awkward and uncomfortable? With well, that? well, before getting into dancing, I'll uh, say that this is probably where I feel most introverted. Okay. Uh, you know, in bars, one of the things I get annoyed by is that you talk all the time. Yeah. You, there's a temptation where you can just sit down and talk the whole time, yeah. and I get tired of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so being able to go up, tease people, play around. Right. That's something that, that helps me just be normal and balanced and nice. enjoy the situation. Yeah, you're using your, your physical body as opposed yeah. to just your mind and just like ideas and thought. Just like, let's use our body, let's be physical. Yeah, and, and I'd say that, you know, sports are an area where I'm, I just accidentally get into flow. So a lot of times, you know, I, I go out to play often frisbee or some pickup yeah. game. In between, I'll just talk to people and occasionally get dates from that, right? Yep. Um, and that is so intuitive and accidental. Right. right. Um, it comes across probably very naturally because right, you know, like, right. I will now talk to this woman because it's just yeah. in the flow of things. So, so really the bars in that, you know, if you go into bars and try to do the same, same thing or a similar thing, that's not how I feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. But if you, if, if you can introduce the opportunity for yourself, like in me, uh, to, to get physical a little right. bit without necessarily being sexual, yeah, sure. uh, you, you'll feel more relaxed, right? So yeah, bringing in tactics to, to help you be comfortable and bring out your favorite forms of socializing and communicating helps. Nice. Um, what was your main question? I think I... Well, just around the dancing thing. Dancing. Okay. Okay. Um, In your experience of that and also if there are people who are uncomfortable with that, such as myself. Yeah, yeah. I'm working on this really hard. Yeah. So I have a few skewed... I have some few skewed experiences. Uh, for about a year, I actually used to, uh, to take hostel uh, residents out on tours or pub crawls. Um, what does that mean? As in, like people, tra- people traveling to your city, right? They oh, stay in okay. hostels. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I used to take them on pub crawls. Nice. And there's always like a big variation in the kind of people you who come up. There will be some people who are really uncomfortable dancing. Yeah. But if you've developed rapport with them, it's, it's just fun to like be silly on the dance floor, yeah. break, make it acceptable for them to like start expressing themselves. Okay. So I take some joy in terms of like just bringing people in, letting them all have fun. Nice. Um, there are other times where it's just like more intuitive where there are some people who know how to dance or they're just very un- unmusical. Yeah. In which case you can have more intimate sort of reactions and interactions. So I did salsa yep. and that, that experience helps a lot. Um, yes. But you don't even need to really know how to dance right. as long as you can be on beat and enjoy yourself. That's yeah. the main thing. You don't need, even need to be on beat actually. Just 
Sometimes it's fun to just flail around like an idiot deliberately and just entertain everyone. <laughs> well, see, my situation, I think, is more around being self-conscious. So I'm actually a musician. I've been a musician for most of my life. Mm -hmm. I've also been an athlete, too. Yeah. So it's like, I got rhythm. I can move. It's just, I'm not sure what it is. And I've, I've gotten over most of this. I used to be way more self-conscious. But I still get a little self-conscious. And so it's not like I can't physically you know, do the things. I yeah. just feel weird about them. I think also part of it is I don't usually care for the music, but whatever. You know, sometimes I'll just kind of make up a melody in my own head that yeah. overrides what's going on there. It just ties into the key or whatever. But yeah, so that's, so someone, someone such as myself, who it isn't necessarily a physical limitation or an inability to access the rhythm. Yeah. It's just all in my head. Okay. What would you recommend that I would like go out there and just make a complete ass of myself and then and then everything after that will be okay or cuz uh, that terrifies me. Well, <laughs> well, my first instinct is okay, if you can find a venue where you actually enjoy the music, that that's, makes it a lot more bearable. Hard. That's like a yeah, the kind of music I like is not typically the kind that people end up dancing to. So that's that's a problem. But I, I can accept some of the music, so that's just I can get over that. Okay. Um, and then I guess is, is the discomfort more on the social side or, or, um, or you just don't like the environment or what's the, what's the deal? Probably, it's probably all the above. All I, the above? I know it's not my place okay. and, I, and I feel like I belong anywhere. Like I can go anywhere. It's not like I feel like, Oh, I shouldn't be here. They're looking at me or anything like that. But yeah. I know it's not my scene okay. and it really isn't, but I should still be able to participate in something that isn't my scene. You know, that's. That's what I do socially all the time. So yeah. why is it so difficult for me to just go up on the dance floor and just do that? You know, and I do it. Like, for instance, if I'm talking to a woman, you know, and then I can touch her once to dance, I will bring her out on the yeah. dance floor for a little bit. I can do all that stuff. But to me, like, the idea of, like I said, I can go up to pretty much anyone and just talk to them. Like, the most intimidating woman is just, that's not an issue for me. But the idea of, hey, go up to, you know, there's a bunch of a group dancing and then just, like, sidle up yeah, dancing. Yeah. Holy shit, that... I don't even know if I can, I could, I guess, do it if you were like, I, I wouldn't say force anything. I wouldn't say yeah? force anything. Okay. Actually, one All thing, right. one, one side point is that, um, you know, a lot of the, the pickup community is dominated by white people yes. and all of them say, don't dance yeah. because they can't dance and they can't enjoy dance. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that last bit is where I'll point out, right. Yeah, if you can't good. enjoy it, then I mean, it might not be your thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, don't, don't force yourself to the point where you're just uncomfortable about everything. Right. Yeah. The point is that. You're communicating, pick up, pick up, or whatever you call it is, yeah. a, is a form of communication, right? right? And you're either entertaining your partner or helping them come out of their shells, or or you're you're helping yourself and your your collective group come out of their shells, right? Right? And if you're really uncomfortable, you're not really serving that goal. So no, change change the environment, move them somewhere else. Right. Yeah, it's interesting how much I tense up when I do that. But anyway, we're not going to harp on my internal issues that I'm dealing mm. with. But that, I think that's, it all ties in though, because it's different modes of communication and it's things where you can have, you know, really high level of acuity and strength in something. Like, for yeah. instance, for me, the verbal thing is pretty easy for me to go up. But then I'm like, I am a, um, a beginner or I'm remedial when it comes to just going up and dancing. I've even taken salsa classes. Yeah. I, do, I do okay. I can do this stuff, but I'm just clunky and it just doesn't, I, I don't know. It, it's probably, it's probably some deep seated thing that I need to talk to a therapist about. I, I guess <laughs> or my, take ecstasy. <laughs> I wouldn't say do that, but my tactical tip is just uh, see if you can find a way to self amuse yourself on the dance floor. And I think that's this weird hand um, thing. I don't, I don't yeah, know what yeah. the hell it is, but it, I just, 
I knew what to do with my hand. But so I Wes is just both. waving his hand in an S shape. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm doing this S, like a figure eight kind of thing with my right hand. It's sort of like the trance clubby people do it. I always made fun of that, and I thought how stupid it was. And I thought that they were doing it for other people to look at them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of what I don't like about the exhibition stuff. I have some issue with that for some reason. I'm so obsessed with being my authentic self that yeah. I can't hang out. So I go overboard with that. But I'm realizing that no, this this is a motion that feels good for me. Yeah. And that's what this woman told me who I was dating. She's like, well, just have your body follow where your hand goes. Yeah. And I was like, that's brilliant. Yeah. And so now I, I solved that. I also did have two drinks that night. That might have helped. But I was <laughs> far from drunk. You know? Yeah. In yeah, the yeah. past, it's like, oh, yeah, if I'm drunk, I can dance, and that's fine. So just letting loose. But. And the other thing is that, like I said, when, when I get tired of talking, um, in a, in a dance-oriented environment, it's just more acceptable to be more ADHD. So if, oh, sure. if, if people are having a dramatic conversation or if the conversation is getting really boring, you can just take someone and dance, right? And I've, and it's also an easy way to get physical. And I've actually been very envious of guys who will just, you know, they'll just be dancing with a girl. And then like all of a sudden they're just like, you can put your hands all over. It's this yeah. weird way where you can get like really physical really fast yeah in like yeah. minutes and if you did that if i was having a conversation with some woman and then in three minutes i kind of like have my whole hand rested on their ass yeah she would probably slap me but i'm like let's dance and she's like that's great here's my ass in your crotch it's like all right well actually that's a good point though i mean it's very easy to escalate on the dance floor but it's very random right so oh, you can sure. make out you, you can meet and make out and yes and, Almost, uh, almost screw on the dance floor. Yes, but you might never see them again in five minutes. There's right? no, <laughs> there's no anchor to it. There's no context to it. It's very random. But what? But why? It's really good, and I found it's a really good thing. If you're talking to somebody and she's into dance, and then you yeah. take her out on the dance floor with her, but then you've you've actually created a real relationship. Yeah, yeah. And then you bring her back, and then you're talking more. So just yeah, just the dance floor physicality, I think, is kind of a flash in the pan kind of thing. For it, sure, it depends on your personality. So one of my one of my my girlfriends girlfriend yeah uh she she loves like mosh pits that's where she goes to pick up Whoa. dudes actually that's really interesting <laughs> and so it sort of depends on your personality right whereas like more um more dance-oriented people yeah it's more of a sport to them right so they go on there it's actually a slower seduction than than most things yeah if, if it becomes a seduction yeah that's um interesting. so it's, it's, it's an interesting point i mean you can go in with whatever goal you have it's also a venue to figure out how adhd you are so. <laughs> right yeah that's a good point well, any other pieces that you want to add into the conversation that you think folks should know about, that you find interesting, you find relevant, anything you can think of? Um, I think uh, social network research is fairly interesting. That, that's sort of one of the, 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 the lines of research or discussion I've, I've sort of fed into this. Yeah. But aside from, uh, from dataclism, I would recommend, um, if, you're familiar, if you hear about some of Malcolm Gladwell's old books, mm -hmm. um, books like The Tipping Point or Blink, Right. They're fairly interesting in terms of helping you contextualize how to think of yourself. Um, there's one observation out of there where uh, they point out, or he points out, that uh, the most important factor in developing a relationship is proximity, physical proximity. Not not one-to-one, -one, but the fact that you guys live in the same locale is actually yeah. something that facilitates a relationship much more strongly than anything. So we live in this global age where we are, our networks are spread out a lot. Right. But if we get uh, in, in that world, it's very easy to say, uh, 
our network, our friendships formed because we were ideological and we believed something. Right. That's not true. It's mostly because you guys lived together or you were in a situation where you could be proximate to each other and form some sort of connection. That is so be true. friendly to randomness and try to emphasize your proximate environment, being being open in those world in those environments. That's really interesting. So you're meaning people would be more likely if a woman's living in Denver, she's more likely to date somebody in Denver than somebody in Boulder just because of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but also. Um, okay, you're in the bus stop. Just talk to everyone, right? When you right, can. Okay, yeah. um, sometimes it's just just doing the, the being courteous and stuff like that can can open up uh, opportunities for for dating relationships, for friendships, oh, for yeah. partnerships, whatever. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everywhere you're going, there are all sorts of opportunities, and most people won't actually take those opportunities up. And sometimes yeah. it can feel awkward. Well, I think for introverts, especially, like it's very intuitive to sometimes just. Uh, let yourself be, but yeah. fun, every once in a while, make sure to just like push yourself out or make a game out of it to, right. to talk yeah. to people in those I mean, situations. Easier said than done. And I acknowledge that I mean, in our coaching and uh, other things in our videos and our, yeah. we do talk about different venues where you can go talk to people. And just in closing, I'll, I'll give a little bit of experience, uh, in terms of, so like the grocery store, which is one of the hardest, but also I would say one of the best ways you could meet women. It's very tricky. Yes. And actually, there's huge value, right? From the outside, it seems really scary, right? Yeah. It's an unfamiliar environment, but if yeah. you try it out for a little bit, you might find, hey, I like this environment more than anything else, right? I mean, there's, there's attractive women. You go to like a natural food store, there's all these women who are into their health and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And after a while, I was meeting women and that. Then I started psyching myself out because I had a couple experiences where I made myself feel really awkward. Yeah. So, so I stopped doing that, but I've been starting doing it again. Yeah. And it's just a reminder that there are so many unlimited possibilities as long as you just don't put up these artificial boundaries in your own mind. Yeah. And that's so much of this. Yeah. And I, I guess one final thing I will say is that from an introverted perspective, think about whether you like to approach this alone or with people. Right. right. If it's really hard for you, it's better to do it with people mm -hmm. because you'll compete or you'll also get support and encouragement to the, the lubrication to actually practice this stuff is better. Yeah. Um, but there are times where, you know, especially when you're trying to be authentic, right? right. Uh, or, ha or, or take extreme action, um, doing, having an attitude of doing it alone can actually help you at certain points. Think about mm -hmm. how you learn. That, that's what helps me a lot. So mm -hmm. there are some skills I learned by being a super introvert. Mm -hmm. and there are other skills which were too hard for me to learn as an introvert. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, understanding where you are and that, that sort of helps you guide um, how, you, how you should approach various parts of dating or self-development. Makes perfect sense to me. Well, thanks so much, Vic. Really yeah. appreciate being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great. Hey, folks. This is Wes Colton, coach, CEO, and founder of Introvert Unbound. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and got something out of it. And I hope you stay tuned for future episodes by subscribing on Podbean, iTunes, or however else you found us. If you yourself are an introvert and resonate with our message, I also recommend you go to introvertunbound.com and sign up for our free monthly email newsletter with our latest articles, videos, and other introvert-related stuff. And if you're really looking to level up your dating, social, and work life, email me at introvertunbound at gmail.com for your free half-hour, zero-obligation online consult to help you come up with a game plan to harness your strengths, shore up your weaknesses, and become the Introvert Unbound.